Welcome to another episode of the Politipop Podcast, the podcast where we take your favorite pop culture media and discuss the social and political themes within. Today, we are discussing Lord of the Rings and its depictions of masculinity. I am your co-host, Mike Booch, a.k.a. Samwise Ganja, a.k.a. Gandalf the... Right, a.k.a. Horny Boromir, a.k.a. Bay Omer, a.k.a. Not Idly Do These Leaves of Lorien Burn, a.k.a. Rest in Peace Ian Holm, the former actor of Bilbo Baggins. And with me is my amazing co-host, Ty. How you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, this is Ty, a.k.a. Tybeard. I'm very excited to talk about Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Fantastic. And with us today, we have a special guest, the Warrior Wardsmith. Please welcome Frankie Soto. How you doing today? Hey, I'm excited to be on. I'm excited to talk Lord of the Rings, masculinity, and hang out with you fellas. Awesome. So welcome to the podcast, Frankie. Now, the reason we decided to invite you on today is because you uh, you are a poet, and we all know it, but more so, a lot of your work deals with uh, masculinity. Is that correct? Can you tell us a little bit about your work? Um, I don't want to say a lot. I mean, a lot of my recent book, uh, which I just finished writing my poetry manuscript, Boneyard, um, it focuses a little bit more on masculinity and understanding it growing up in a Latino household. And I was just, this specific one, I wanted to be a little more honest on some of the struggles and hurdles that uh, boys and men have to take to feel like men and some of the macho and machismo values that uh, exist in the Hispanic culture and I mean, other race cultures as well, but specifically, I wanted to speak on my experience with it. That's awesome. And we're planning on hearing a little bit from you today with uh, one or two of your poems, whatever you feel comfortable sharing. Uh, but we'll get to that organically and we'll just start talking about Lord of the Rings. I know we have our resident Lord of the Rings expert with us today. Ty, you are an absolute professional Lord of the Rings connoisseur, in my opinion. So can't wait to talk it out with you and have you correct me on all the names <laughs> like we had with Pope correcting us on the Halo lore last time. Absolutely. Um but I just do want to put a disclaimer. I am aware that there's a lot of problematic stuff surrounding Lord of the Rings, surrounding uh, Tolkien and maybe his personal politics, which we can get into at some point. But we are aware. We're putting it out there now. We are aware that this is a very, very white film uh, series. We're going over the original trilogy and the only people of color we see in the movie happen to be the villains. Yeah. Yeah. So we're we're just going to put that out there right now and we're not going to ignore it, but our our focus is going to be on how masculinity is depicted and how we relate to it in our lives. We're going to be sharing a lot of personal stuff, so it's it's going to get real. So before we begin, Ty, give him the plot, starting with Fellowship of the Ring. All right. Lord of the Rings, a Fellowship of the Ring, a meek hobbit from the Shire and eight companions set out on a journey to destroy the powerful one ring and save middle earth from the dark lord sauron all right that's nice and simple i like it 
So at the beginning, when they're talking about what each race represents when they get uh, given the rings, I thought it was it was interesting how um, like the dwarves, they were craftsmen and miners. And in real life, we kind of have our own version of that. Like we believe that a, a true man is like a man who works with his hands. Uh, they also talk about humankind, but when they do, they just say men. They say like, oh, the world of men, the race of men, and how they desire power and how they're greedy. And I'd say that out of all of them, the elves are probably the most stereotypically feminine of them. Like they're the, the prettiest race. They all have like all the men, even they have long hair. All of their swords and weapons are like with this uh, this curvature and everything like everything about the elves seems to be very soft and maybe even androgynous. Yet they still have these incredibly badass warriors that do what they have to do when it's time to get work done, you know? Yeah, I mean they're uh, they're some of the the most skilled warriors in the in the Lord of the Rings universe. You know, I mean they're the ones that turn the tide of battle against Sauron, as you see in, in that in that war in the very beginning. You know, without the elves, they never would have would ever would have stopped him. You know, the elven warriors are very very skilled. But yeah, like you said, uh, you know they they are kind of feminine. Um, they're you know very well kept, very graceful, uh, especially when compared to the dwarves and the humans. And the story itself is all about jewelry. So from there, we're kind <laughs> of capitalism. Teaching, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that too. That too. I had to go visit the Lord of the Rings earlier today while we got Dee's wedding band situation taken care of. <laughs> um, but it, it it is interesting that like you have a lot of medieval fantasy stories that are based around like oh you know obviously there's a dark lord in this story and everything or or like you can compare it to game of thrones which obviously took a lot from the lord of the rings lore but something like game of thrones which i think is an apt comparison to make is all about like you know you have a lot of like a lot of men who are like drinking, killing, having sex with a bunch of women. There's also a lot of problematic stuff in that too. There's a good amount of sexual assault for some reason. Um, but but you don't really see that here. This The whole thing is about a piece of jewelry and walking to throw it into a volcano. <laughs> yeah, when you, when you really boil it down to it. Uh, I mean, Tolkien was very, very religious. He was, um, I believe, Catholic. So I, I don't think he would have put anything like that um, you know, unsavory in that, but he was inspired to make the Lord of the Rings based on his experience serving in World War One. You know, he fought in the trenches, uh, and a lot of close friends of his died, and he had a very personal, you know, a love story. Basically, there was a woman that he was not supposed to be with because she was several years older, and his family, you know, forbade him from seeing her, et cetera, et cetera. And and he was fighting to get back to her, so that inspired him to to write the Lord of the Rings. So you know, it's this uh, very high fantasy. Uh, you know, epic, uh, you know, about about a group of people trying to to save the world. Um, and, and there's, you know, elements of war and things like that. But I, I don't think he's someone that would have want to put, you know, rape or, or anything like extremely violent in there. It was not, you know, something that he would have been interested in in portraying. And good on him for that, except for the fact that he wasn't interested in portraying people of color. <laughs> um, but I didn't know that he put himself uh, that into that many of the characters. I thought we were really just supposed to see his lens as uh, from the Hobbit's point of view. But there, clearly, like you mentioned, with his his uh, his relationship with this woman, that's very much Aragorn and Arwen. Oh, very much so. And, and uh the inspiration for Aragorn and Arwen were other characters he wrote, uh, Baron and, and Luthien, which I believe Aragorn sings about in Fellowship. 
another like forbidden romance and, and like that it was very much his his story of, of you know wanting to get back to the person he loves and and you know the parents forbidding them and, and not supposed to be together so yeah he, he put a lot of himself into a lot of these characters frankie did you have anything you wanted to throw in there or no um, not specifically. I mean, I, I agree with a lot of things you're talking about with the elves from me watching it. Um, it's funny that you brought religion into it because growing up um, a devout Catholic, the first thing I immediately thought when I saw the elves was the representation of Catholicism and the image that we were taught uh, that Jesus would represent. Would The elves kind of gave that spiritual appearance of what we saw when we walked into the Catholic Church of this holier image, uh, this glowing hair, this it, they just gave off a feel of religion um, and that's a, the first thought when I was watching Lord of the Rings not as a fan and just kind of watching it to study it and kind of like look for the masculinity tones in it and that's the first thing that came to my mind when I saw the elves Wow, I didn't even think of that but that's such a good point, yeah. like you, you do see that that Jesus symbol, uh, you know, the whitewashed Jesus. We all know that Jesus was a brown man. But like, yeah, like he has, the you know, the, the fair hair and the fair skin and it's long and you have your beards. And we do see that represented in a lot of the men in this story as well, too. I say that like there's more than three women characters. But um, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, a lot of the men like Aragorn fits that that Jesus archetype with his beard and his long hair and uh, pretty much every other man in the story who's not a hobbit too, or an elf. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned there not being a lot of female characters. I think also that, you know, serving in World War One, women were not allowed to serve in the military, you know? So I think a lot of his personal experience caused bias when he was writing this, you know, and, and like he wrote what he knew, you know? And so that's why I think he, he portrayed the world a certain way. You know, he's, He's from England, uh, with you know a deep history of imperialism and colonialism, and um, and I mean he definitely had a lot to say about these things. So I, I don't even know if he was in their favor, but definitely did not put a lot of diversity in in the books uh, for whatever reason, whether it's because he didn't think he should or he didn't want to. I don't know. So just starting at the beginning, they meant they had this quote in a narration about how hobbits will shape the fortunes of all. And we talk about, uh, the, the Shire and, and how like, you know, they're very simple folk. They're not supposed to be warriors. They're farmers. They're uh, content with ignoring others and being ignored. And you know, Bilbo, is it Bilbo who's narrating at the beginning? Uh, who says like, it's no bad thing to celebrate a simple life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really thought that that was, um, that that was interesting that the some of the heroes of this story are made out to be kind of the least stereotypically manly or masculine the least masculine of all of the races you have these soft face uh you know stout hobbits who are just all about you know eating drinking and farming yeah they're, and they're very childlike you know and, they don't typically personally i don't believe it's bad thing to celebrate that kind no, of life no no not at all but like they're very childlike they don't they don't typically go out and, and experience the world but um you know the, the hobbit film had not been made at this time but obviously the hobbit book came out first and you know they they do allude to certain events from that so you know we know that gandalf the wizard has come and before and he's recruited bilbo on this journey that no other hobbit has ever taken and it's been the talk of the shire for you know for years and years and years uh, and and uh, you know now we're going to see hobbits play an even larger role in the world around them uh, than Bilbo did previously. 
So speaking of Gandalf, I want to move into his introduction into the film. Uh, yeah, they do allude to the, you know, the Hobbit uh, and, and his whole journey that, that takes place before the Lord of the Rings story. But we have we have him coming into the Shire to celebrate Bilbo's 111th birthday or uh, his 111st birthday, if you <laughs> want to call it that. And we see just from the get go this camaraderie between him and Frodo, how like, you know, they're kind of busting each other's chops a little bit, which, you know, that's something that, you know, that men do in real life a lot. You know, we kind of, you know, diss each other, but we know for the most part it comes from a good place. But, uh, you know, but Frodo jumps on Gandalf and hugs him. And that's kind of the first instance of this man on man uh affection that we see and there's a lot of it throughout this trilogy and we see uh, not just the hobbits doing it but there are a lot of warriors who are very physical with each other in a completely platonic way yeah i mean you see this uh with almost i'd say every protagonist in in the movies you know every character has has a moment of embrace whether it's uh you know aragorn gandalf whoever it might be you definitely see a lot of that uh, and some very, very close friendships. Now, Frankie, I know you mentioned before that your poetry, it some of it talks about how, you know, being a man and growing up in a Latino household and having to subscribe to a certain ideal of masculinity. Uh, you know, I come from a similar background, except it was just myself and my father, but him being um, uh, also a Latino man, you know, they, they have certain expectations. The way that these men interact with each other physically is that something that would have been encouraged in your household growing up you know what i actually want to i want to say yeah i mean i i never had my father and i stopped speaking when i was a teenager but my father he i want to say he was a he was a hugger even if he couldn't show his affection as freely as i feel like i you know consider myself someone who shares it now but um you know hispanics show love through you know body and we even talk with our hands so i think hugs were acceptable growing up in my house yeah the way that i grew up like we had hugs and we had kisses on the cheek like my father was very much about that uh i know that like there's kind of a lot of jokes going around that like oh white families are the ones that kiss on the mouths and stuff <laughs> like that um but like even when he and I would kiss on the cheek, if it was like a little too long or if it was it was like quick and you accidentally caught like the edge of the mouth, he would get so weird about it. There's going to be a whole podcast full of daddy issues, by the way, just <laughs> putting that out front. Uh, <laughs> the daddy issues trio, the name of our progressive punk band. Ooh, I like uh, it. But yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like he was very homophobic. Um, you know, just he was the one who taught me or introduced me to the idea of what gay people were and it was a very ass backwards idea of it and um you know so that that really wasn't encouraged in my household if we were laying in the same bed together i mean we had a studio apartment i'm you know i'm the son he's the father like you know we would we would sleep in the same bed but like if i wanted to be warm i would put my back up against his and he was not about it he would be like, he'd be like, oh, don't put your butt on mine. You know, don't touch me. Like he was very much against it. What about you, Ty? Now, I know that you don't necessarily come from uh, from the same sort of cultural background that Frankie and I do. But but what what was affection like in your house growing up? Um, I mean, as a kid, I remember, you know, uh, my, you know obviously my mom being affectionate and uh, and stuff like that. But, you know, my my dad, um, he, 
so he was very homophobic as a child. When, you know, when I was a child, he would he would say a lot of lot of problematic things about um, anyone in you know in that community, and you know he would point out people on TV like, oh look, he's gay too, and stuff like that. Like he would make a lot of comments. Wow. Um, and then when I was uh, I want to say ten or eleven, my father came out as gay. So it, it you know it was very very dun, dun, yeah it was very dun. shocking, especially having known him to be so homophobic. Um, and I you know I realized then that it, it or you know years later the more I thought about it I realized that you know he was trying to cover you know he was trying to keep his himself being that tough guy that that masculine guy because you know his father was a very very you know tough hands-on kind of man now my grandfather was very affectionate i remember rolling on the grass with him sitting on his lap watching tv but he was also a man who worked with his hands a lot you know uh, and i don't think he would have accepted a gay son and i think that's why my dad probably waited so long to come out and it definitely raised the tension um you know between him and his father and between my mom and, and his father they basically like blame my mom for my dad coming out as gay so there, there was a lot of issues there um, and it was a lot for me to get through, you know, um, you know, my, my brother is also gay. So they're, you know, ha- having both of them come out, you know, there always was like this, this weird feeling like in the back of my mind, like, am I gay too? You know, like the, the two men that, you know, I grew up around, you know, my brother and my, and my father both coming out, you know, there, there was always that weird, that, that, that weird feeling in the back of my head, like, am I sure? Am I sure I'm not? Um, but you know, I, I'm not, and it's something that I you know, had to explore and realize, you know, and come to terms with that, you know, I am comfortable with who I am and, and, you know, and I'm not gay and, and that's okay, you know, but, uh, it was definitely, it was definitely interesting knowing how my father had acted for so many years and then, you know, getting that reveal, uh, when he finally felt comfortable coming out. Um, so yeah, it, you know, it was, it's, it's kind of strange and my dad's very affectionate now. Like when I see him, he always wants to give you a kiss and a hug. Um, and it, in some ways he's actually more affectionate than my mom. My mom's not as much of a hugger and kisser these days. So it, it's like really turned things around. Uh, and it, it's kind of interesting to look at that and see. Well, yeah, I just want to skip ahead a little bit. Uh, I noticed that you know, the big reason I chose this movie is because, like, a good majority of the men in this movie, like, the main characters who are meant to be the heroes, they don't really do a lot of yelling often. They don't do a lot of, um, you know, like, yelling at each other, but it, it does happen. And I noticed that when they're trying to get into the minds of Moria and, is it Merry or Pippin? I always get them confused. Mer- Merry is like, uh, he gets yelled at by Gandalf, right? Uh, usually it's Pippin. But they they tend okay, they so tend to both together. But Pippin's the one that like knocks down the the skeleton down the well. He's the one that's always like getting in a little bit more trouble. Yeah. So Gandalf is yelling at him when he can't get into the when he can't get in through the door, and I I saw that and I'm thinking like we do see a lot of people lash out with anger when they have their own insecurities. Like you know you said like your father you know he would say a lot of really problematic and homophobic things. And he was that probably stemmed on those psychologists, but that probably stemmed from him not being able to be himself. And that's where that insecurity came from. Gandalf's insecurity came from him not being able to get in. Meanwhile, he said he used to know all of the spells and all of these different languages. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I think another frustration, too, is Gandalf is not the high, highest wizard in Middle Earth. It's it's Saruman the White you know, who Gandalf goes to for aid. And it turns out that Saruman has turned his back on the people of Middle-earth 
and join forces with with Sauron. And he actually imprisons Gandalf for quite some time. And, you know, Gandalf's the one trying to get Frodo and the ring to Mordor. He's trying to, he's the, he's basically the leader of this group of this fellowship of nine and, uh, to oppose the nine ring wraiths. And I think, you know, at every turn, Saruman just bests him, you know, they're trying to go over the mountain and Saruman casts his magic and he, he causes, you know, an avalanche and Gandalf as powerful as he is, he can't get them through it, you know, and they, they wound up having to turn to the mines of Moria. And I think he's just frustrated you know, that he can't even get them inside there. It's probably this very powerless feeling, uh, you know, when, when he knows there's there's this other wizard out there who's who's so much better than him, that that's so much wiser and, and, and knows so much more, or at least it seems that way to him. And as we know, both in fantasy and real life, men cannot stand getting lost. Nope. So that was another big part. The whole time Ghibli's in his ear, we go through the Mines of Moria, we can go through the Mines of Moria. <laughs> and Gandalf's like, shut up, shut up, we're not going through the Mines of Moria. Uh, but a, a little bit back before that, uh, we see at Bilbo's uh, birthday party that he starts giving Frodo all of this emotion. He's letting it out. You know, he's like, oh, well, um, you know, I, I, I took you in because uh, because, you know, I thought you were different and all this other stuff. And, and he's just letting out all of these feelings. And Frodo asks him, he's like, are you drunk? I mean, he doesn't say that <laughs> verbatim, but he questions Bilbo's sobriety like. And I think we do find that it's common for men to be more expressive with each other and be like, I love you, bro, and hug you when we're drunk because I think we're just raising this society to be repressed that way. Yep, definitely. Frankie, are you more emotional when you're drunk? Uh, it's, my, it's my turn. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry. I yeah, I cut off Ty to ask you a question. I'm the worst host. Oh, man, I have, I have, I have a lot going back to some of the stuff that uh, – that Ty was talking about when it came to his father and his brother. And then we went into Gandalf and um, Gandalf and the white wizard. I could definitely see an analogy between uh, Ty's father and his Ty's father and Ty's grandfather. If, if their relationship um, was difficult to talk about, you know, being a homosexual openly and freely and Gandalf um, with the wizard, knowing that there's someone who is wiser than you, who does know more than you, but he still kind of wants to reach that level. It's kind of like as if Ty's father still wanted that approval and had internal conflict with himself because the person you look you look up to is supposed to be wiser and is supposed to be more powerful and you still seek that approval even if that person is sort of your opposition um, to getting to your happiness. And um, I'm sure that Ty's father's level of happiness was being able to finally be open about being homosexual and defeating that war inside of him. Um, and as as Gandalf wanted to one day be more powerful than the wizard and, you know, get the ring there. So um, I had a quick question for Ty. Do you think your father coming out played a role in your brother feeling more secure and talking about it? Um, you know, it's a weird thing. My father used my brother as the reason for him coming out. So I actually think it made my brother hesitate to come out longer. Um, because it, it damaged my mom a lot. You know, it really, really, it really hurt her, obviously, uh, having, you know, been with someone who, who probably, you know, was never really truly attracted to her or, you know, wasn't in love with her. And, 
uh, you know, it, it caused a lot of friction in our family. So my brother waited a very long time. I remember, you know, growing up, a lot of people would be like, oh, your brother's gay. And I'm like, no, he's not. You know, I was always very like, no, don't, you know, that's not true. Because I think I was also in denial because of my dad using him uh, as the reason for coming out. So um, it, I think it actually made it more difficult in that regard, uh, you know, for my brother to finally do it. I don't, I don't know who the first person he told was. I know he told me before he told my, my mom. Um, I don't think he told my dad before me either, to be honest. Do you mind if uh, I speak just to my experiences growing up in your house? No, go ahead. And, uh, you know, you could tell me to shut the fuck up because obviously <laughs> it's it's your family or whatever if you want me to edit it out. But Your family too. Yeah, I just know that, like, I came into your life as your friend when, you know, your brother was, what, eight years old? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe maybe a little younger, maybe a little older. But I feel like up until that point in your life, the only gay person you'd ever known was your father. And he wasn't the best guy. <laughs> yeah. Not necessarily because of his gayness. But I feel like, do you think you equated a lot of negative attributes to being gay? Yeah, I mean, it, it damaged me a lot, you know? Like like you said, we, we never had a really healthy relationship to begin with. And then, you know, when he came out, it was, he kind of, you know, in so many words, abandoned my family, you know, to go kind of like discover, you know, himself and, and find his happiness. So I think definitely, you know, that being my personal experience, um, you know, made, made me have a certain feeling about gay people. And, you know, that was the first thing I thought about, definitely. Yeah, and I just remember that there was a lot of problematic stuff being thrown around in that household. And it wasn't necessarily at gay people, I think, but I think it was more at your father. And the biggest thing to make fun of him about was the fact that he was gay. And I'm sure that your brother growing up in that household was like, well, I'm just going to uh, keep this to myself <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because this is how they, they think about gay people. But it was more so, I think, how how you guys thought about your father, um, whom after I like met in person, I was like, I get it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I remember when like when you told me that uh, that your brother had had come out, I was like, yeah. Like, I, you know, I'd, I'd stopped talking about it a while ago because I knew it was a touchy uh, subject for you, but I wasn't really caught off guard by that. I was like, all right, like, he's still the same kid, but, you know, I'm not necessarily surprised. Yeah, I think it was more of, like, having people define him, you know, the way my dad did. That was that was the reason, like, I didn't want people to, to be like, to tell me that, you know? I was like, if, if he is, then he'll come out on his own. Like, you don't need to... to rub it in his face or my face and, and be like he's gay he's gay he's gay you know so that was like i remember growing up that was like a big thing that really bothered me so i would always you know shut people down with that and plus we were teenagers and teenagers aren't really the most mature people in the world <laughs> i remember a lot of our friends when they came over they would use it as if it was an insult they'd be like oh your brother's this your brother's that and it wouldn't come it wouldn't come out as a sincere like oh you know your brother's gay like it would it would always come out as a punchline or yes. something. And I yep. think that right there, obviously you're going to respond negatively. To Absolutely. That. Yeah. It was never, you know, never a good conversation or a comforting conversation. It was always, you know, a joke or, or, or ridiculing. So, you know, it, and, and it always made, you know, made me feel bad and I'm sure it made him feel bad too. Oh yeah. I just, um, I mean, that, that has to be a, an insanely tough predicament to be in because you're at a young age coming into your own like this is your introduction to homosexuality and at the same time you're 
being introduced to homosexuality with your father and at the same time you're being broken because it's separating a family element that you had so you're kind of healing and embracing something at the same time i can't even imagine the conflict that it had to cause on you watching your family break apart because your father is now coming out with this and you're trying to heal at the same time and understand homosexuality and then your brother's predicament is how do i jump into this rope and how do i share my honesty when he's already seen something be so difficult and kind of you know just break apart that has to be tough for everyone in the family yeah yeah definitely you know and uh it, you know, it, it stems from, I think you said earlier, like, you know, my father wanted to be happy. And, like, I get that. You know, people want to be happy. Um, yeah, unfortunately, a lot of people got hurt in the process, you know, and I, I want my brother to be happy. And luckily, you know, I don't think he, he took the, the same steps my father did. You know, he came out much sooner and, and you know, he, he didn't get into, like, a relationship with a woman and, and get married and things like that. So, you know, I think it, it did work out. But, yeah, it was, you know, definitely it's hard to, to process all that and, and to learn about... You know, I, we were, you know, we were kids of the 90s. So, you know, I, I feel like, you know, homosexuality wasn't really something that was openly talked about or, you know, learned about for, for a long time. So it really like... It was I, more taboo than normal. Yeah, you know, yeah. There, was there a know? Pride Month? Like, did were we wear yeah, I, I mean, like, you know, it wasn't something that I really cared to learn about. I, I have to be honest. You know, it wasn't until I was an adult that I really started to, like, educate myself more about it. And I'm still learning about it. You know what I mean? Like... It's it's still something that I you know I, I learn about and, and have to to have to really pay attention to you know what I'm saying and how I'm thinking and things like that and you know that that's something that I'm working on and that's really a reckoning that we kind of all go through whether it's our own internalized misogyny our internalized uh, homophobia or whatever it is like every step of the way we can still consider ourselves allies while having to reconcile with the fact that we may not be uh, perfect or inclusive individuals, but as long as we're aware it's there and we're working on it actively, that's what's really important. Yeah. I yeah, I agree. And, and you know, another little interesting part about my family, you know, my mom remarried um, and my stepfather was very much like the macho kind of man who, you know, was into sports yes. and work with his hands, with his hands and, you know, he's a tough guy. And uh, I think it was hard for him to wrap his head around um, and I remember, you know, I, like I was, I'm kind of into sports. Like I like football, I like baseball, but I'm not like, you know, I was never an athlete. I was kind of more of a nerd. I was really into, you know, Lord of the Rings and video games and stuff. And I think, you know, that was this. That's why we're here. That, yeah. That was disappointing <laughs> for him. And then my brother really disappointed him because he, I, he would, he would be always be like, oh, why is he playing with uh Webkins? Get him a football. You know, like that was really hard for him to, to wrap his head around. So there was a lot of tension for a lot of years there you know us growing up i think i was 16 when he moved in and uh my brother was 11 so um you know it that, that definitely was was tough but i remember when my brother came out surprisingly my stepdad was very like okay like he was cool with it he actually like was the one that kind of like talked to my mom and was like you know we have to accept this so i, I you know i don't know what changed in, in the years you know because my brother came out when he was like already i think 21 or 22 so but uh yeah that, that was definitely surprising to see him kind of flip a little bit on that yeah it's easy to condemn something until you find out somebody you love 
is a part of that thing. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, wow, uh, there are people. Like, yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, but let's just piggyback off of that. I want to talk about casting because, as we know, Gandalf is played by the incredible Sir Ian McKellen, uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, now, Ian McKellen is out in real life as well. He's an incredible actor, but he's also uh, gay. And I found it interesting how he is not just one of the main heroes, but probably, you can correct me if I'm wrong, like the most powerful hero in this group. Like, it didn't really hit me until I was watching the beginning of Two Towers when they go into the end of his fight with the Balrog. But this dude, his falling from the bridge, grabs his sword and is still giving the Balrog the business. All right, they're on this mountain peak and he's getting lightning from the sky and stabbing this bat. Like, he's going at it with this Balrog. And, you know, it's to, uh, typically we're told that gay men aren't masculine, that they can't be tough, which we obviously know this isn't true. Uh, but, you know, but but we see an example of this in Lord of the Rings. Obviously, Gandalf isn't uh, depicted as, as gay or anything like that. Um, you know, I'm, he's a celestial being as far as I'm concerned, so he probably is an ace. But, you know, it is awesome to just see a gay actor depicted in such a badass way that we don't normally see, or we didn't normally see back in 2001. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Gandalf is, like you said, he's one of the most powerful beings in the universe. It turns out he is actually more powerful than Saruman. Uh, he is, uh, I never knew how to pronounce it, like the, the Meyer. They're, they're like a, almost like a, a demigod. And, you know, when they come to Middle-earth, they choose a form. So the Balrog is also a Meyer. So, like, he's basically as powerful as the Balrog. Uh, and he is very much a Jesus figure, you know, uh, he dies, he resurrects, um, you know, so there's a lot of like religious imagery there. So it's even more interesting to see them choose an openly gay man to be more or less Jesus Christ in, in the Lord of the Rings. And we also had this moment where Gandalf, which for the most part, he is another soft-spoken individual. We had this moment in the fellowship where he's yelling at Bilbo because he's like telling Bilbo, like, yo, you got to let that ring go. And Bilbo is like, oh, you want to take it from me and everything else. And Gandalf just isn't having it anymore. He starts, you know, throwing some of that magic at him and everything. And we see that Bilbo kind of backs up, realizes that he's being called out and response to Gandalf with a hug. Uh, you know, I'm one of those people who's been called out a lot of times. I deal with it a lot better now than I used to. Uh, you know, Frankie, I wanted to ask you, do you have any moments in your life uh, where, you know, you might have had problematic views you were called out on and, and how did you handle them? Were you more like a Bilbo and you were like, all right, all right, I'm wrong after you finally get, you know, yelled at by a tall wizard, man? Or, you know, <laughs> were you more... You, you mean know, when someone had when it. someone had a problem at, with me and lashed out like that? Yeah, like because Gan because uh, Bilbo's kind of being called out by Gandalf over this ring. Yeah, I remember thing. the scene. Yeah, so uh, you know how how do you normally respond when you're called out on uh, something that's problematic that you may have or or a, a toxic trait that you may have? Well, it says I have deep rooted daddy issues. So, and my father was a very <laughs> I mean, I'm 5'8 on a good day. My father's 6'1", 250, muscular, very macho, um, very confident man. So I have two ways of approaching it. I can be very empathetic and apologetic and want to discuss what's going on to resolve the problem. Or if you come off very masculine, like old school masculine and attack mode, I go very into like defensive, let's put our hands up, 
I want to snuff you. I want to fight. <laughs> so those are the two ways that I go. But I'm more so in my normal life, an empath. I, I want to talk things out. I'm very big on an apology being one of the strongest traits a man can have. Mm-hmm. Um, it can resolve so much. And um, I remember that scene so vividly when Gandalf, because you saw when Gandalf got serious, it, it had a very like father and son feel to it. The way Bilbo just cowered down and yeah. you saw how like Gandalf was like controlling like the world. Like he, he became this like, outer worldly presence and like Bilbo just he just surrendered like he knew right away and it reminded me of my father when his tone would reach a certain place and my legs would start to shake and I would just lose my 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 sense of self and just follow command obey and it was just very obedient and very structured and very robotic and very idea of masculine and it's one of the things personally as a father now that when i hear my voice reach those levels i have to like speak to myself and say listen we got to approach this a different way we got to go back in the room we got to go talk to my daughter again when i get like that with my son we got to go back we got to give him a kiss we got to talk softer and i have to literally check myself because i know what it was like to feel like bilbo there or like pippin when the skeleton fell there was real fear of, uh, you know, and men seem to fear that kind of interaction and we shouldn't because then it goes into what I told you is my other mode Hands up. where I want to fight. Hands up. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Ty? I mean, I know the answer, but just for the listeners. Um, Yeah, I mean, this is something I think we've kind of discussed in the podcast a little previously. You know, my viewpoints have changed a lot. And I think, you know, back when I was younger, especially my teenage years, um, I was very openly defiant. Like I didn't want to listen to that. Uh, you know, if you tried to tell me I was wrong, I would debate the hell out of you. And, uh, you know, I would do and my, maybe even personally attack the person. Oh yeah. I could, I could I get heard, real vicious. I, I, I would use personal stuff against you. Um, but I, I think, you know, over the last, I don't know, five, six years or so, I, I think I've really come to, um, to respect people's opinions more, to be able to talk it out more, um, I've admitted when I'm wrong, uh, you know, I, I've apologized for, for, you know, viewpoints I've had and things I've said, you know, um, my girlfriend's taught me a lot, you know, being, uh, you know, Hispanic and, and, and a woman, she, she's just taught me a lot of stuff that, that I believe was problematic and, and things that I had, you know, done that were problematic. So, um, you know, it, it definitely, uh, has taught me a lot and, and, you know, I'm able to take that much better i think today and you know i'm, I'm more willing to, to say oh okay i didn't i didn't know that i didn't understand that you know explain it to me like i want to know more you know a lot of times like i'll i'll ask i'll ask questions um i'll look it up myself like i want to know i want to know what the actual answer is instead of just what i always believed i wish so many people had your mindset with everything going on right now with black lives Matter. yeah i wish so I've been, too. Asking, I've been waiting for so many people just to be like all right i want to learn Explain it to me. I think it's because we connect our beliefs and our actions to our identity so much that when our actions or our beliefs are attacked or met with some sort of opposition, we see it as we're being attacked. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I know that I've... I've been guilty of that in the past, and sometimes I still am now, but now I'm a lot more uh, reflective about it. 
you know, my father, he would always tell me it takes a true man to say he's sorry and mean it. That being said, he never apologized for anything. <laughs> like he would find every way around apologizing, a way to turn whatever you said back around on you. He'll pull the whole like, oh, you didn't like what I said? I guess I just won't say anything anymore. Like, I, I guess I just won't do that, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, there was one time like, you know, I called him out on something, uh, you know, back when I was still talking to the son of a bitch. And, and he said like, oh, like, so I made some mistakes. What should I do? Should I shoot myself in the head? Is that what I should do? Uh, my response was, if you want, <laughs> but, um, um, you know, when you're an adult, you can fucking talk to your dad however you want. Um, but, uh, but like, I found myself not long after I was in an argument with my then girlfriend, now fiance, and she, you know, was upset at something I said or did. And I was like, oh, should I just shoot myself? And I stopped and I'm like, fuck, I'm being my father right now. And as as long as far as i've come in in my growth as a man i still catch myself you know it's so hard to deprogram what we're what we're brought up with that's progress though that catch right there that's progress it, you know it's something um you know just for the sake of this retrospective i decided to view the ring as toxic masculinity i know that was that's not what it was made to represent but just for this specifically you know i think there's a lot of correlations that you have uh you know people who hold it and they just kind of hold on to it and once in a while they're a little problematic like you know bilbo bilbo wasn't really worse for having the ring but once he was called out on it or once you know the you know the ring was passed on to frodo he was very upset about that but then you have you have characters like like gollum uh you know smeagol who that has ruined his life the ring has ruined his life and you want to if you want to view it as toxic masculinity that identity is now a part of him he has come too far but in seeing how it's affected bilbo and how it's effective uh, how it's affected gollum Frodo has been able to see this is what I could become. Definitely. And I think that we all come from places of that, of, you know, seeing the men in our lives, the men who have uh, raised us or mostly raised us, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, until we stopped talking to them or they walked out, you know, and then came back later. But, you know, in seeing that, I think it's easy to see what we could become. And because we have that reference point, we're kind of in a better place for it, for being like, all right, I know what not to be. Yeah, I, I think if you're going to view the ring that way, um, you can see that, especially in the relationship between uh, Boromir and Faramir and who they are as people. You know, Boromir is very much like, you know, the manly man. He's he's the he's like the captain of Gondor. He's you know the hero, his father's favorite son, the eldest, the one who you know needs to bring hope to his people. And the ring just manipulates him into, to, you know, he says, it's a weapon. We should use it, you know. He, he gets very violent with it, um, as opposed to his younger brother, Faramir, who's always been much more soft-spoken, uh, more gentle. You know, he kills an enemy in his first appearance, and, and you know, he... he uh, this was so good. It really was, yes. He, uh, he reflects on it. He says, because um, I thought this quote was great, um, I think Frodo or Sam calls him the enemy, and he says... The enemy, his sense of duty was no less than yours, I deem. You wonder what his name is, where he came from, if he really was evil at heart. What lies or threats led him on this long march from home? He would rather have stayed there. 
in peace. War will make corpses of us all. And I think that's a lot of how he feels. You know, he doesn't want to fight. He doesn't want to be the captain of Gondor. He he would rather be at home. Um, you know, he wants the approval of his father. Uh, and I think him and Bormir's reactions to the ring and how, you know, how they're able to, to act towards Frodo uh, really points at, you know, uh, toxic masculinity. You know, Faramir is, is much more gentle with Frodo and, and is able to let him go where Boromir will not. He tries to take that ring from him. Yeah, and I saw that Faramir, in my opinion, it seemed like he only let Frodo and Sam go once he learned of what the ring did to his brother and that it was his downfall. And he was like, oh, like, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, even though he had always kind of looked up to his brother. You know, it was that was definitely interesting. You know, his brother had always been his hero. And then when he saw that had happened, he, he decided to, to, you know, to act differently and, and give them a chance. Well, they're both victims of the sins of the father, you know? Their father's a fucking asshole, and he pits them against each other and has his idea of what a true uh, man should be, what a true king should be, what a warrior should be. And every step of the way, he's cutting down Faramir, telling him that he'll never amount to that. And, you know, this, this is a little further on in the Two Towers, but... You know, this is, this is something I've experienced in my life, too, that I spent a good portion of my life trying to gain my father's uh, respect and approval. And then I realized I don't respect this man in the first place. Why do I care what he thinks about me? Yeah, I mean, that's that's important. That's important to know. You know, the respect is uh, it goes both ways. I mean, isn't that in, isn't that exactly in hindsight what we see now as men, the role that men play for younger men? You think about Frodo. Would he have been the man that he was without Bilbo, without that relationship with Gandalf, without that openly like relationship to hug and talk and feel that open? If like Boromir had a relationship similar to Frodo and Bilbo, would he have been different? Would his views have been different? So I think that just also it kind of puts more of an emphasis on the power that we as men have now to change the idea of masculinity, you know, and to change the way younger men and boys grow up to be. I think it just shows that we have so much more power than we realize. That is beautifully put. Uh, I'm just going to continue going through my notes and we don't have to, you know, I'm going to gloss over because we had this party. Question, is drinking manly? If so, the hobbits are manly as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, is Rosie ever going to stop cleaning that mug? Uh, now, <laughs> we see her first she's cleaning a mug and then when they leave the pub she's cleaning a mug again she's working hard that Rosie uh, I think it's interesting that Sam's interested but he doesn't really have the courage to ask her out and even when he sees other guys making a move for her he's like oh well you know uh, that that sinks well, he's, what does he say watch who you're hitting on or watch who you're yeah something, something along those lines Something along those lines. And I love how Frodo steps in here because before Frodo was like, oh, are you going to ask her to dance? Like, it seemed like he was kind of encouraging Sanda, you know, to hit on Rosie or whatever. But then at the end, he's like, don't worry, man. She knows an idiot uh, when she, you know, when she sees one. Like, we see multiple times in these movies that that a lot of these men are just building each other up and instead of cutting each other down. And it, it is a beautiful thing to see. Definitely. I did also like how the growth of these characters only began when they stepped out of their comfort zone. Like Sam stops and he says, if I take one more step, it's the furthest I'll ever be from the Shire. I'm paraphrasing. From home. He says from home. Frodo says you know? uh, from home. 
And uh, what does Frodo say to him in response to that again? Do you remember, Ty? I thought it was just like a generic, like, oh, Sam. He's just always like Sam. Like, he's always like he's always building Sam back up. He's always trying to give him courage. He calls him Samwise the Brave. You know, Frodo never would have gotten that far without Samwise the Brave. I'm glad you're with me, Sam. You know, like he's he always uh, gives him words of encouragement because you know Sam has very low self esteem. Um, even though you know he's he's one of the most. Uh, like brave and reliable and loyal friends that you could ever see, you know. Oh uh, yeah, he's he's by far one of my favorite characters. When he, I mean, when he jumped into the water to chase Frodo because he refused to let him go by himself. Man, I was like, I need friends like that in my life. He was yeah. doesn't know how to swim, and he was still gonna sacrifice himself because that's how much he wanted to go along with Frodo to be there for him. And once I saw that, I was like, man, Sam, I'm down with you. <laughs> Yeah, and we see that a lot with the hobbits in general, too. Like, uh, when they're all taking on that troll and, you know, Merry and Pippin are up there throwing stones and everything, and once they finally think uh, that Frodo's been killed by that troll, they lose their shit. And these these hobbits who have no chance of standing up against a, a cave troll, they, they start going to town on this guy. They jump on him, they're stabbing him and everything. Like, they, I love how, how they really back each other up. Or even in the beginning of the Two Towers when the, the Orakai are being dicks to which hobbit again? Uh, well, Mary's the one that's been injured, and Pippin's the one that's like, oh, leave him alone. They're being dicks to Mary. And yeah, Pippin, who once again, like, if he speaks up, who knows? They could decapitate him. Like, But he still takes that risk to to back up his friend. Like, these are soft-spoken people. These are uh, soft people, if I can say that. The hobbits. But they, you know, as, as Bilbo says, uh, that, you know, things made in the Shire are meant to endure. And it seems that way with the people who come from the Shire, too. And that's that's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, you, you see some interesting things when, when they have the Council of Elrond for, you know, for the ring. And they're trying to figure out, you know, what to do with it and who's going to take it. And, you know, you see the elves and the dwarves fighting. And, you know, Boromir and the men want to take the ring. And, uh, you know, uh, Gandalf starts speaking the language of Mordor. And, you know, it seems like anarchy. And it's Frodo who steps up and says, I'll take the ring. You know, I'll take it to Mordor. And, like, he's, you know, again, he's like this young uh, childlike creature who, who's, you know, he's not a warrior. He's not... You know this great hero but he's willing to put his life on the line and, and travel all the way to mordor yeah i think it's because he has the least ego out of all of them like he has he poses the least danger if he if he gets overtaken by the ring as well i feel like because he's so small because he's so childlike like he can endure it like everyone else can become so much more powerful and stuck on their ego that you know, it can endanger everyone. So I feel like Frodo's, that's what made him so perfect. He was soft, but soft doesn't imply weak. And I, I think yep. that that shows the hobbits. Yeah, I mean, Gandalf wouldn't even touch the ring, right? He, he's like, you know, don't don't give it to me. You hold on to it. Like, I, you know, I don't want anything to do with this thing. Yeah, and that's Gandalf. Like, the toughest dude there is, you know, power-wise and everything. Uh, and I think that just talking about humility being such a, a good quality to have, we can segue into Aragorn here because Aragorn is unlike any other protagonist that we see in in action movies. And rewatching these things, 
they're action movies. Yeah, yeah. Like there's actually not a lot of um uh, there's not a lot of downtime in between. There's a lot of fighting that happens, but we but when we meet Aragorn, we see that he is so soft-spoken. I didn't notice it until the last time I watched this movie with you, Ty, uh last year, and that's when I was like we should do a podcast about this. But like Aragorn has a very he's like, hello, my name is Aragorn. <laughs> like that, like that's how he talks pretty much the whole time. He's always he's always whispering. I mean, his his whole thing is he's trying to stay hidden. You know, he doesn't yes. he doesn't want a lot of attention. You know, he even says to Frodo, he's like, Oh, I, I can you know, I can remain hidden from sight, but not disappear entirely. You know, he's he's always trying to just stay out of the spotlight. But isn't he trying to hide from the shadow of his family? Like the the history of his family. He's another one. It, yeah. it makes sense why he doesn't want to be seen. You know. He is. I always call him the po the poet of the movie, but <laughs> that's just. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he 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 has a lot of um, family history that he is not proud of. You know, he comes from um, a long line of of you know a bloodline that of men that that live longer than other men. They're they're ancient kings. Um, his his ancestor actually stopped Sauron the first time. You know, cut him down, but he kept the ring for himself. He wouldn't destroy it, and ever since then, it's like the men—the men of the world—have been cursed. You know, they had that one chance to end evil, and they didn't do it, and it showed how corrupt they were. And I think you know he's always afraid of falling into that trap. You know, much like you know we've talked about not wanting to be like our fathers. You know, he doesn't want to be like like his ancestors. He doesn't want to be that that weak man that gives into greed and power. I think you see that. I forget the scene when the woman asks how old he was. You saw how uncomfortable uh, he got because he had to let him know how how old he was, and then you knew that he was given a longevity of life, and you could see how uncomfortable he was sharing the backstory because he knew he was going to be judged. Yeah, I mean, at the Council of of Elrond, you know, Bor- Boromir's, you know, we got to use the ring. It's a weapon, and, and Aragorn's like, you know, no, we can't use it. We can't wield it. Like very calmly, you know. And he's like, oh, what does a mere ranger know? And that's when Legolas is like, he's no mere ranger, you know. He's Aragorn. He's he's the king of Gondor. You know, he should be the king of Gondor. And Aragorn's like, oh, you know, sit down. Like he doesn't he doesn't want that attention. He has no desire to rule. He has no desire to have that power. You know, he wants it just to be forgotten. Yeah, and I, I love how Aragorn is also such a, a layered character. Um, you know, I think in everything we kind of find ourselves, right? But I did see uh, some stuff in Aragorn that reminded me of myself. Like, when he is camping out with the guys, he kills a deer and they have it for dinner. But then at night, he's singing an elven song or an elvish song. Like It's a love story. You, Yeah. And, oh, yeah, the one that you referred to earlier, right? Yep. Yeah, so, you know, we see that, like, men can j- just be so much, and I think we don't give them the leeway, or we're not we're not raised to give them that leeway. Like, um, you know, in my own experience with my masculinity, uh, you know, Ty, you know, I, I started, um, you know, I started studying martial arts at 12 years old, and I was active with that probably until I was, what, 25, 26, yeah. and a lot of what I learned through that was that, you have to be humble. You, uh, you know, that was one of the main rules of our discipline was being humble. And the whole symbol of putting your open hand over your fist when you bow was you know how to fight, but you hide it. You don't do it unless you absolutely have to. And that really gave me a lot of confidence that I don't think I ever actually got into any fights uh, in my life. Like no like real big scuffles because 
I didn't have to. Like, I didn't have anything to prove. I knew who I was. And we see that with Aragorn. And especially at the end when Frodo's like, oh, you know, are you going to protect me from yourself? You're trying to take my ring, buddy, blah, blah, blah. And that's exactly what Frodo says, by the way. And Aragorn, you know, closes Frodo's hand and he's like, all right, girl. You know, he like <laughs> he lets him take the ring and he realizes that, you know, Frodo has his own journey to go on. And then shortly after, he's murking orcs left and right. Like, he's such a soft-spoken dude who sings all the time. You know, doesn't sing all the time. But, you know, he's singing, you know, stories and everything. And then he's decapitating dudes the next second after. Like, you can you can get you a man who can do both. Yeah, I mean, he's a warrior. He's a leader. You know, he's someone that uh, Gandalf trusts. Uh, you know, and it's like he's looked down upon by other men. You know, like they don't respect him because he grew up around elves. You know, he's a little more. I think that's also part of why he's a little bit more soft spoken. You know, he, he that that was his inspiration was was spending time with them. You know, he's a romantic at heart. He's in love with an elf woman. You know, it's not something that um, you typically will see. You know, that it's it's crossbreeding, right? Like, the, the, you know, the elves don't want to breed with humans. They have different totally different lifespans and things like that. Uh, and, and I think all of these experiences make him um, a better man, you know, a, a, a more honest man that, you know, who he wants to be uh, than trying to, you know, be someone he's not. Yeah. I mean, he, he loves a woman who basically her culture looks looks upon him like he's less. And I think it goes back to I think, Ty, you mentioned um, your lady. And I think it just shows that love and sometimes a woman can kind of heal your heart in ways that you can't do it yourself. And I think uh, that love story just shows a lot about, about what molded his personality. Definitely. I agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think because we're more likely to learn from somebody who we're that close to than, like, an acquaintance. You know, if an acquaintance calls you out on something, you're like, all right, well, fuck you. I don't have to listen to you. But, like, <laughs> if it's, you know, somebody who you who you love and you're planning on spending your life with them and stuff, like – it may behoove you to try and learn a little bit more about where they're coming from. Can I share a problematic moment I had recently? Sure. Okay, so um, I'm not proud of it, but it kind of goes back to being called out and everything. I was uh, We've been going to my fiance's family every Sunday for, for dinner and just to hang out and play card games and stuff. You know, we, you know it's a s- small-knit group. It's just her family and us. And... Uh, you know, I'm not sure if I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but for the most part, they are very right leaning. Um, you know, they're flying that Blue Lives Matter flag out front their house all the time without knowing what it means. And I pretty much just try and stay under the radar and not say anything because I don't know how to talk about this without being confrontational at this point. And um, so I pretty much talk about anything else. To, to not bring that up. And so I talked about an acquaintance uh, who D and I know, uh, you know, a gentleman who has very fluid movements, maybe a slight lisp. And despite the fact that he's married to a woman, I'm like, oh, he's probably gay. And I don't even necessarily believe that. I just thought it'd be something to talk about, you know, and I just brought it up. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not proud of it, but I feel like I should talk about it. And so while we were talking about it, my fiance's sister speaks up and she says, you guys hate stereotypes all the time and yet you're talking about this. And I'm like, yes. 
Like, I agreed with her. I'm like, yep, absolutely. <laughs> and the family didn't get it. They were like, oh, you know, what's wrong with what they're doing? And I'm like, she's saying that we're being hypocritical because we often talk about how stereotypes are bad. And yet we're saying that because this man moves a certain way or speaks a certain way that that he's gay. And at the like, while I brought it out there and said, like, oh, yeah, this is what we're doing. I'm in the wrong here. I still got angry for being called out. I didn't express that anger, but inside I was angry. And I felt guilty about saying what I said in the first place. And then I felt guilty about being angry too, because we just talked about don't be angry when you're called out on something. Try and learn from it. And I'm glad that, you know, that she called me out on it. And I was like, wow, like I was I was the asshole there. And once again, I do consider myself an ally. You know, I know several people all across the LGBTQIA plus spectrum in my life. And yet I'm the person who is saying that, like, I, I don't know. I just felt like I wanted to throw it out there. (sighs) Yeah. And that was that, like, you know, everybody can still have their, have their moments. You know, we just, we just got to learn from them. And I'm glad that I was called out. Yeah. I think we got to admit when we're wrong and, and take that time to, uh, to, like you said, to learn from it and, and figure out, you know, why it's problematic and, and, you know, how we can avoid doing that again in the future. I think the fact that you said that you were angry when for saying that, but you were angry as well for feeling guilty about it. But I think the fact that you allowed yourself to evaluate both feelings, I mean, it's hard to just learn something on the spot. I mean, growth isn't something that just is immediate. So I think at, at the same token, you have to be patient with yourself that at that moment you were able to acknowledge your anger you were able to think it over and now you can be on a podcast talking about it openly i think sometimes you just growth takes patience you can't expect yourself at that moment to catch yourself and to fix it right away you know that's to me is a very masculine macho thing of i can't understand it but i need to fix it this minute right now you know Yeah, and what's ironic is that I've been that guy, too. Like, I've done drag shows. I've cross-dressed. I've, um, you know, I I, I took dance class all four years of high school and was made fun of for it. Uh, I've talked about how attractive other men look. And I remember, like, my father uh, was very upset with me once. I texted him. I was talking about uh, Jay Garrick on The Flash. This dude, fucking hunk. Uh, (laughs) The guy who played him. And I mentioned that. I was like, oh, he's a hunk. And he was like you shouldn't be talking about another man like that, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, your your concern over my being gay or straight, which by this point, he knows I'm heterosexual. I've had multiple girlfriends. I've, you know, I, I, I was super slutty in college. Like, like, you know, probably, probably too much to try and prove something, I guess. Uh, but like at this point, you know who I am. Like, why are you telling me I shouldn't say that a man is attractive? Like I'm, I'm fine with who I am. I'm fine with saying that, you know what I mean? Uh, but I think I told him, I said, if my value to you is based around me being able to have sex with a woman, that's kind of messed up because if it's your daughter, the last thing you want to think about is your daughter having sex, right? So why is it that way with your son? Why why with any of your kids are you like, oh, like, I wonder what their sex life is like? Like, obviously, you know, you should explore sexual education and have a, you know, a healthy discussion around it in your household. But still, like, I don't know. I just I just thought that was that was weird. And like, you know, also, like, I've even talked about it with my fiance. Like, I'm not 
I don't think I'm bi, but I definitely have like bi curious tendencies sometimes. Like more so like in my you know my porn searches sometimes. Like I'll be like, oh, let's see what these guys are up to, you know, or, or something like that. And I'll look up one of those scenes that <laughs> a threesome minus the woman, and it's just two dudes. Um, but like. <laughs> You know, and and I'm I'm absolutely fine with that. Like I know who I am. I have no need to prove myself to anybody or to prove my manhood to anybody. My manhood has been forged in the way that I grew up. You know, I may not have known how to build a fire up until a couple of years ago, uh, but but I learned. Does that make me any less of a man? I personally don't think so. But for me to to live the life that I've lived, uh, you know, I would. For example, um, you know, I've always told uh, my fiance, I'm like, I think I would look really good in purple lipstick. Like if I just wore it. Uh, Ty, you remember a few years ago, just because I thought they were comfortable, I went and got some skirts and I wore them around the house. Yeah. Because yeah. they were comfortable, you know, and very, very breezy. Um, you know, but for me to do all those things and then turn around and be like, oh, a guy has a lisp and he throws his hands around a lot. He must be gay. You know, that was kind of messed up. But uh, no, but thank you for saying what you did, Frankie. And actually, let me just follow up on that. When I was super young, I used to have one of those rat tails growing in. And my father was like, oh, you have a ponytail? And I was like, no, I don't. And he was like, oh, well, you know, like girls have long hair. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm five, six years old. I don't control my hair at that point. I don't even dress myself. Like everything is controlled by my parents at this point. I was living with my mom, though. And, um, and he made me cut it off. And not only did he make me, but he manipulated me into cutting off the rat's tail, which is a little worse. He was like, oh, well, you know, all the bad guys in movies, they're the ones with ponytails and stuff like that. Do you want to be a bad guy? And, you know, I'm a huge superhero fanatic. I was like, I don't want to be a bad guy. I want to be one of the heroes. So, yeah, like he cut it off, not even with scissors. He took a kitchen knife to it, cut the rat tail off. And he's like, there you go. And he threw it on the table. And I remember like strangling the rat's tail and throwing it in the garbage because it wasn't just him having a problem with it. Now he passed that on to me and I had a problem with it. Um, that being said, there's not a single dude in this movie with short hair, is there? Uh, not really. <laughs> they all have long hair. And that's what made me think about that. I was like, holy crap, like all these dudes... And once again, they don't question who they are as men. You know, they're they're soldiers, they're warriors, they're you know, they're whatever. They all have long hair. It's not a problem. Why why do we care? Yeah, I mean, I think the quarantine has given me a new understanding on letting your hair grow and the face your oh, hair yeah. grow. <laughs> so when I see the movie, I actually didn't think about it, but um, because I was just like, if you saw myself like four weeks ago before I cut my hair, I was looking very Lord of the Ringish. But what I what I think about with you, when telling your story about your father and uh, cutting off uh, the rat tail, I think about maybe when you when you spoke about the the lisp and the hand movement. Sometimes you're taught, you know, subconsciously you're taught these things. Who knows if your father made a reference when you were younger to someone making that movement? And it just it's kind of robotic. It goes into your deep conscious, and you don't you're not aware of it. And then sometimes you see something and you just react and you don't think. And when you react. You caught yourself like, you know, why am I saying this? Why am I thinking like this? This is this doesn't embody who I really am. But I think we we do have tendencies to have things that have been embedded in our brains and that we were taught. And we don't even we're not even aware of it until we say it out loud and we say, shit, I, I've heard this voice before. I've heard these words before. This is not who I am. But, you know, you say it, you own it and then you change it. 
can we talk about Bilbo's mercy real quick? Because I thought that was interesting. How, like, in a world of high fantasy and, you know, uh, highly influenced by, by medieval culture, it's easy for someone to swing a sword and chop off a head. And Gandalf is talking to Frodo, and he references Bilbo's whole interaction with Gollum. And he says, like, oh, you know, some people, uh, you know, deserve to die and they live. Some people deserve to live and they die. Like... Bilbo's mercy toward Gollum is going to, you know, decide everything, basically. I don't think he says that, but as we know by watching all the movies, that it does decide it, that Gollum's role is much larger than just being killed off by Bilbo, you know, however many years ago they they met. Yeah, I mean, Gandalf does say Gollum has a role to play, and uh, I think Frodo remembers these words, and when Gollum is at his mercy, you know, he chooses to, to befriend him. Um, and, and for a time, I mean, Gollum actually does change, you know, he really does believe Frodo's his friend and they have this mutual bond over the ring and they're, they're able to, you know, work together towards a common goal for a short time. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that mercy winds up being, uh, pivotal in, in destroying the ring in the end. I also want to talk about after Gandalf's quote-unquote death in the Fellowship of the Ring, how everybody reacted afterwards. Like, some people were angry, but the majority of them were crying. And, like, you know, Merry and Pippin are, like, you know, they're, you know, rubbing each other and, like, oh, are you okay? And they're crying and everything. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, that grieving is short-lived because they, they have to keep moving. But it reminded me of my own experience uh, when I, I lost my mom last year and she died. And I remember my father texted me and, uh, you know, Frankie, you and I were talking off mic before about how much of a piece of shit he was during the whole, uh, you know, my mom dying experience. Uh, tickets on sale for $75 uh, starting next <laughs> week when phase four happens. But, uh, he, um, but he texted me and he was like, oh, you have to be strong. And by that point, I, like that, it didn't upset me, but I, f- I felt bad for him because I'm like, Oh no, the time for being strong is over. I was strong for her when she was alive. Now she's gone. I'm going to fucking cry my eyes out every day. You know, I'm going to eat whatever I want. I'm going to stay indoors for hours at a time. I'm going to let the depression take me. I'm going to work through my emotions. I'm going to come out on the other side. And, you know, while it's not, the grieving process isn't actually that simple or quick, you know, you still grieve, you know, I grieve to this day, but it is interesting, like, this whole idea of, like, being strong means suppressing your emotions, doesn't it? Or does it mean having these emotions and continuing to live in spite of them? Well, that's a lot. I just think everyone's definition of is strong is just, it's so different because of how we were raised. That I think the fact that you were, you're so secure in your emotions can maybe even... I mean, I don't know anything about your father's character. Let me preface by saying that. Other than what you told me, and I'm going to take gonna your word. I was going to say you know a little now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take your word on it because he's your father, and I'm going to roll with you. But who knows You know who allowed him to feel secure enough? I mean, he just might not be strong, as strong as you. I mean, I think that just shows that you just, you're at a higher level than he is, and we can't expect. When I, when I went back to my, you know, we have to be patient with growth. It doesn't just work to our preference. Like, it doesn't just go with what we want. I mean, we really do have to be patient with growth. I look back with my father. I do not have a relationship with him since I was about 15. So the father-son relationship, to me, it's it's gone. Like, being a father, I don't need him 
to be my father anymore. I am a father. But then I still, in the back of my mind, because I'm at a place of peace and healing, I want the best for him. I want him to reach, you know, growth. And I, in my head, I'm like, be patient with him as a man that he'll reach that place, that he'll become a better person, even if I don't need that attachment from him. I still want the best for him. So it could just be you're at a higher place than your father is, even though you're younger. And it just, the way we're taught as men, if he wasn't taught, if he didn't have that courage to break the trend as you did, that you can understand how you feel. That the fact that you even know that I have to go through these motions. I have This is my step one, step two, step three, and this is what I need to do. Some men aren't even aware of that. They don't even know what step one is, how to even go about it. I mean, I think we have to put away age when we talk about masculinity because some of the older generations yep. act, act more juvenile than we do. So I think we have to throw that out. I think the way you mature as a man has nothing to do about age. And I think we can be at a higher level than our fathers and our grandfathers and they could still be at a place of growth and that's why I'm saying we have to be patient but being patient doesn't mean we have to have them in our lives we can want them yep. to reach that growth and be separate <laughs> well yeah because you know a lot of times these people's presences in our lives just continue to make it more difficult um no but that's a good point you know I appreciate you saying that I think another big thing is just you know, like Aragorn, he wasn't raised by his own family. He was raised by others. I was also uh, raised by others. And the most influential people in my life, for the most part, have been women. My martial arts instructor, she was a woman. Um, you know, one of my one of my surrogate moms who I still talk to this day and, you know, learned a lot about responsibility from is a woman. Ty, your mom who helped raise me is a woman. Yeah. And, you know, she's just one of the toughest motherfuckers I've ever <laughs> known. And, uh, you know, like my fiance's mother is is a woman and she has a lot of very admirable qualities and uh, and is is all about charity and everything like that. And I've learned that from her. And, you know, even my my ex-girlfriend's mother also had a huge part in my life. Like at this point. I've been helped out so much by women that I just I owe it to myself and to women in general to continue to give back and help and be an ally as, as much as possible. You know, I think that's that's part of where my emotional uh, intelligence comes from, you know, and even from from my own mom, like, you know, bless her soul. She was very traditional, I you know, in the way she was raised and. You know, she wouldn't like me doing anything that was that was near that would that would be considered feminine. I asked her once. <laughs> I said, I said, what? You know, I was joking around saying that I was going out with my roommate in college. You know, but I was like, no, I'm joking. But what if I was gay? How would you feel? And she was like, I said, would you still love me? And she said, yeah, we in love you, but you wouldn't get any money from us anymore. <laughs> so oh my god! You know, because I guess she'd be funding my uh, my gay operations. Uh, my, <laughs> multi-million dollar corporation the only sponsored if you're straight <laughs> exactly um i like how you mentioned breaking the cycle too because you know i think ty you mentioned before about how where your father came from and even though your grandfather who you know was was pretty affectionate and and good with you which you know partially could have come from because he saw where he fucked up with his own kid he wants to make it up with his grandkids 
Uh, but, you know, I know that my father, he didn't have his father in his life. Uh, I come from a long line of man sluts, and my grandfather is no exception. He had four different families with four different women. I believe that my father and uncles and aunts were all from the second family, but my father never grew up with a father. He grew up with an abusive grandmother who would, you know, beat him and, you know, tried to kill him a couple of times when he was growing up. And so whatever he did as far as parenting goes, it was a lot better than that. Uh, his best still wasn't great, though. His, you know, his, yeah. his best wasn't good enough, but he did his best. And that's kind of what we do. Frankie, you're a father. You know, you're the only father out of three of us. And, you know, I'm sure you can attest to we want to raise our kids better than we were raised. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it. I feel like that's instinctual. I really believe that everyone goes about parenting wanting to be better than parents, than their parents. Not everyone can achieve it. Um, I who knows what my kids are gonna say about me in hindsight when they grow up. I'm hoping we all mess it, up, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm hoping it will be positive. Um, going back just to you know when I'm speaking about my father, I'm gonna also just explain my father. Even though I don't have a relationship with him, I don't think of my father as a bad man. I think of my father as his idea of manhood and masculinity. And what he wanted me to become, the fact that I couldn't become that caused a conflict because that wasn't the man that I wanted to become. It caused conflict. And I don't really want to say that makes him a bad man. It just wasn't the man I wanted to be with. And I grew up in a very similar situation as you. My mother, my abuela, my aunt, my aunt from my father's side I was very close to, my father's brother is gay and he's always been a father figure to me since I was younger so it it always caused a little confusion for myself growing up as well because I played on the baseball team I played football I also played chess I also sang four years of concert choir I was also a poet and a writer so some of the things I would think about would come from the woman element of my upbringing so it, I would think about you know how is this gonna make a woman feel in my decisions because I had such a respect for the women in my life I wouldn't think about the man element I was thinking about how my actions affected women so that sometimes made me think about things so deep it would make me wonder like I love women but is this straight is like you know and I had such a close relationship with my uncle that you know we used to watch I was watching independent movies in Union Square that none of my friends would watch. I was watching movies with openly homosexual lead characters and totally into it. We would have these conversations and I, I would be free to be like, oh yeah, he's a he's a great looking guy. And I never thought about it. I ne it never crossed never my mind. To. You know, it never crossed my mind, but that was my upbringing. Like my father was the mold of macho, masculinity, good looking, had it all. And then my uncle was this homosexual man that I looked up to who was teaching me values that my father couldn't. And it wasn't so much that my father was a bad man. It was just you get to a certain age that you decide the man you want to be. And it sometimes doesn't coincide with what the man you look up to is teaching you. 
And we are going to leave it right there for now because as we see with Lord of the Rings, any great story has to be told in parts. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in. Please stay tuned for part two next week. Thanks so much to Frankie Soto for guest starring on this episode. Remember, you can find him at FrankieSotoPoetry.com. You can find him on Instagram at FrankieSotoPoetry. You can find him on Twitter at FrankieSotoPoet. He is the 2016 and 2019 Multicultural Poet of the Year, and you can vote for him this year for the 2020 National Spoken Word Awards. Link is in the show notes. Find him at item 19 under Best Multicultural Artist. You can listen to us and rate and review us and subscribe on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or the iHeartRadio app. Find us on Twitter at PolitipopPod. Find us on Instagram at Podcast. Find us via email at politipopcast at gmail.com and as always you can find our show notes and sources at politipopcast.wordpress.com on today's episode we're going to be writing out on what makes a good man by the heavy until next time no matter what you're listening to no matter what you're watching no matter what you're reading black lives matter and remember to read between the lines It's really beautiful, too, to... I lost my spot. (laughs) I'm just going to stop recording. Uh... Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, that that happens a lot. I'm going to cut that part out. Uh, (laughs) Just what I said, that happens a lot, because I didn't have anywhere to go. Actually, I can back that up a little bit more, though, about Gandalf, if you want, real quick. Please do, yes.